Morning Springhouse. Yeah. Uh, most of you are aware <clears throat> that this uh, will be the last time that I'll do this as your pastor. And uh, that's okay. Uh, in fact, that's actually pretty cool. I'm planning on having some fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And I've had a lot of people ask me over, uh, over the last, uh, you know, few weeks, uh, you okay? Yeah. You know, how you feel? I have no idea how I feel, quite frankly. Um, I, on, one, on one level, I would, wouldn't mind just kind of standing here and just sort of soaking for a little while. But uh, I got, you know, after all these many years, I got some things to say, so I got to get on a horse and ride. <clears throat> so let's just go ahead and do that. I was, first of all, uh, full disclosure, it hadn't been 33 years. Uh, it's been 32 years and seven months. But that just doesn't roll off the tongue the way 33 years, you know. Oh, we're going to go hear a sermon about what do you say after 32 years and seven months? Uh, yeah, no, so, you know, we, we round it up for the hungry, uh, I guess. And uh, as I was thinking about it, uh, I've actually gone through a, a few phases about what to say. And I've got three distinct things that I want to do this morning. Three distinct messages, I guess you might say. And, and the first one, uh, well, the first one is just to simply say thank you. And it's, uh, you don't make it 32 plus years in a, in a church somewhere by yourself. Uh, you don't do that without, without a lot of help. And uh, I'm going to go on a kind of a fool's errand here because I'm going to name names. And yeah, and I was thinking, I was thinking uh, when the Lord began to lay this on my heart, which was really only about 10 days ago that I should name names, I thought, uh, Oh, Lord, that's going to hurt some people's feelings. And, uh, and I was reading Ezra and Nehemiah and Dadgum, that's about all they do is name names. <laughs> and, uh, and I think the Lord's kind of taking care of some things for me here because uh, I don't think anybody in this room is somebody whose name I'm going to mention. So just get over it. <laughs> You know, you, you know all, all of you. It, it is not that I, that I don't appreciate you and that, I, that I'm not thankful for you. Obviously, if you're here, I appreciate you. And I, and I am thankful for you. But uh, <clears throat> we're going to get in a way, ba- way, way back machine. Uh, because the first, um, the first names that I need to mention are Harvey and Margaret Meek. Uh, those are my parents. They came here in 1976. And they took, a, they took a, 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 about a church of maybe 15 to 20 people. And what my dad and mom were really good at was taking a group of people about that size and, and turning them into what I would call a viable congregation. Uh, and after about four or five years of, of real sacrifice, they ended up buying a, a lot out on, out on Highway 41 <clears throat> where they were going to build a church. And then uh, Nissan decided to come in and Tennessee decided to put in Nissan Boulevard and they needed some of that land. And so they, they took that land and, uh, and my dad, uh, I don't know who the, I don't remember who the, uh, uh, realtor was, but he, he found a farm out in the country, uh, where we are right now. 
And my dad said, uh, okay, this is what we'll offer. And the realtor said, he's not taking that. He took that. And then the people in the church said, that's just crazy. That's just so, that's so, no, we, nobody's going to want to go out there to go to church. Uh, but they built anyway. And, and uh, you know, I've got some old pictures. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put them up, but I got some old pictures of, you know, the guys getting together and, you know, and you just kind of go, those people built something. Uh, <laughs> And uh, we owe great debt to them. We absolutely owe great debt to them. Um, There's a couple that I want to mention that only a few of you here would remember or would know. But uh, their names are Dean and Merlene Cogdell. And Dean and Merlene were with my parents shortly after they came. And if, uh, if it hadn't been for their encouragement and their support and their sacrificial giving... I, I don't, the church wouldn't, wouldn't have made it. The church wouldn't have existed. So we owe great debt to Dean and Merlene Cogdell. Uh, the first Sunday that I was here, uh, there was, there was a young man who had, who had basically taken about two thirds of the congregation and moved down the road about three miles to start another church about two months before I got here. So first Sunday I was here, there were only 40 or 50 people here, but there was a lady named Kathy Manzer who showed up that morning. And because Kathy showed up, my mom could play a keyboard. She played the organ, but she didn't know anything but hymns. And uh, she didn't know any of the newer songs. And Kathy knew the newer songs, the happy clappies. They're not newer anymore, but, but, uh, and because she was here, we had somebody who could play the piano and, and, and play those songs and, uh, she stayed with us until, uh, until the Lord called her home, uh, about 20, 25 years ago. Uh, Kathy Manzer is somebody that I want to mention. Uh, there's a man named Sam Watson, who's a good friend of mine. And Sam, Sam came, uh, shortly after I, I got here and because of him, a number of other people came. And here's the thing about Sam that I I want to mention him. He was our church secretary for a while. And there were a number of, uh, there were a number of weeks. I know for sure that what came in didn't match what needed to go out. And I can't prove it because I wasn't looking over his shoulder and he never said a word about it. But I know Sam took that money out of his own pocket and made up the difference on those weeks. And so I need to mention Sam Watson. And uh, one person who is still here at the church is Wade Hutchison. He's a good friend of mine. He's, still, he's our longest tenured elder. He, he moved to Smyrna right after we came to go to this church. You don't know what, what level of encouragement that is to a young pastor who's just trying to start a church when, when somebody will do that. I mean, makes all the difference. Uh, a year after we came, Bruce Coble was willing to come. And Bruce, Bruce and Jill, we had known them for a number of years. Uh, and a lot of you know Bruce. But Bruce uh, came to this church when we couldn't, we, we couldn't afford one pastor, much less two pastors. What's that all about? But he came and, and I asked him to come because God, it was the right thing to do. It's what God laid on my heart. He came and, you know, uh, there were a lot of weeks that we'd sit down at the end of the week and go, okay, well, I know this is what we're supposed to get paid, but <laughs> it ain't there. How much do you need this week? You know, you know have some, having somebody who will walk through things with you like that. Uh, 
And then I need to mention two families who are still here, but neither one of them are here today. So hallelujah. Uh, hope they're not sick. Uh, but uh, Kenny and Cheryl Gadboys and uh, Shelly and Tim Branson, uh, they're the only people who were here when I first came and have stuck it out. Yep. Uh, and then when we were getting ready to build this, this building, I, there's, there's a couple of mentions I need to make. One of them is a guy named Mark Robertson. And those of you who know Mark, know Mark is a unique, <laughs> singular personality. And there are a lot of people who know Mark who think it's a really good thing there's not another one of them. But I love Mark. And he's, he's, he's like a brother to me. It, here's why I want to mention him. When we were, when we were uh, trying to build this room that we're in right now, we, we, did a, we had a fundraiser. And uh, the leaders were to pledge first, and it was going to encourage everybody else. And the pledges were coming in. And let me just say it was less than encouraging. In fact... It was kind of like, it ain't going to happen. And then God laid on Mark and Teresa's heart this bodacious, audacious, crazy pledge to make. And they made it and everything turned around. And the reason this building's here is because of that pledge that they made. And then I want to mention one other group, I guess. Um, after we had got the plans and, and done the fundraising and all that stuff, we were having a lot of trouble getting the financing. And uh, there was a bank that finally said, yeah, we'll do that. But you need, you got to have another $15,000 in your savings account before we'll give you the loan. And that was like, <laughs> they might as well have asked for a billion. But I got up one Sunday morning and I said, okay, uh, this is what we need. We need, we need $15,000. Margaret and I are going to give 1500 of that. And that was quite a sacrifice for us. I need nine other families who will do that. And to be honest, I didn't at all think we had nine other families who could or would. You know who you are. Because they did. And yeah. There's one other person that I need to mention, uh, and uh, that's Margaret Meek. And her uh, picture is out on the uh, uh, playground out there on the plaque on the playground. Uh, this, is a, this is a gal who uh, gave up her dream of being a, a children's pastor <clears throat> to marry a guy who was... Uh, the senior library assistant at the Goodlettsville branch of the Nashville Public Library. <laughs> ah, it's a good thing I was a hunk. Uh, <laughs> so, so, some might say chunk, but anyway. <laughs> but she gave that up. I mean, she, that's what she went to school to do. That's a, that was her degree in college. She gave that up uh, to marry me. And then uh, six years later, when I had... Uh, had a really good job with the Social Security Administration. I could support a family and everything. She totally was on board with me quitting that job, becoming a youth pastor at a church that doesn't exist anymore. You know? Yeah, let's do that. And then three years later, she was totally on board with, uh, let's sell 
virtually everything we own so that we can buy plane tickets and fly to Zimbabwe and go live in Africa for the Lord only knows how long. And then, probably even, even more dramatic, let's go to Smyrna. <laughs> we'll live there. Because this was, uh, some of you remember Smyrna in the late 80s. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this wasn't all that far out in the country anymore, but there was nothing between here and the interstate but deer and woods. Uh, and then, uh, you know, after, after we came here, the Lord gave her back the uh, desire, you know, to what she wanted to do in terms of children's ministry. Didn't pay anything for years and years, and then it was part-time for a little while, and then, you know, finally it was more, but, <sighs> yeah, uh, what a woman, and uh, so I just need to mention that. You know, when we stand before God, uh, because in eternity, I don't think time works the same way it does here, I think all of us will get our moment, you know, before with God going, well done, good and faithful servant, everybody, give them a round of applause, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, we can't, uh, we can't do that this morning, and, uh, you know, I just, I just felt like I had to mention some names. The second thing that I, that I want to do, uh, for, for, uh, because I've known that this day was coming, obviously, for quite a while, but for the last few months, I've known the date. And I was thinking, I'm going to close with, a, with an encapsulation of the first series that I ever preached here at this church. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, and a lot of you know that chapter. Some of, I hope a lot of you know that chapter. Some, a few of you know that chapter, uh, but it contains in it some, some really, uh, terrific, it's, it's rich and thick and it's got a teaching that was very popular at the time about, uh, what they call the fivefold ministry, apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And you, it, that's not the focus of that chapter. Uh, I mean, it didn't really, I, you know, it was, it was kind of popular to teach. Let me tell you how you know you're a prophet. Let me tell you how you know. Well, but really the focus of that chapter is what do those people do? Why, why are they here? And, it, and this is what they do. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's not the job of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do the work of the ministry. It's their job to prepare us, to prepare you to do the work of the ministry. That, and, you know, and I wanted to be sure going into uh, a new pastorate here that everybody's got that clear. That's, that's, that's the way that it's supposed to work. Working together... We reach unity in the faith. And not only unity in the faith, but in the, in the knowledge of Jesus. You know, some people have been Christians for years and years, and they don't know much about Jesus at all. They know that he walked on the water, and that's about it. But they don't really know Jesus. And, and there's, a, there's a song that we used to sing, Knowing You, Jesus. Knowing you, there is no greater thing. The way that you do that is you work together to grow into unity. That, that's how it happens. You, you don't get it out of reading books. You get it out of working together to grow in unity in the faith. And that's how we become mature. And that's how we attain this crazy idea that somehow we can be 
the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's how, that's how it comes to pass. Discipleship is by definition not a solo sport. It's not something you can do by yourself. Oh, yeah, uh, devotion, that's really good. Reading the word, yeah, you need to do that. That's a little part of it. And, uh, you know, worship with your um, headphones on or whatever. You know, that's, but discipleship happens with other people. That's, it can't happen otherwise. It, 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 will, it, will, be, it will be stunted. It says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. In this age of misinformation, believers are tossed back and forth here and there. You see it, see it all the time and and stability just seems to be a fantasy. It's a phantom thing out there that, that a lot of people don't have. Uh, the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. There's a lot of cunning and craftiness going on, people. There really is. Yeah, I know, you know, those secular people, they're kind. Con- no. There's a lot of cunning and craftiness going on disguised as, oh, this is, this is, this is godly. This is, the scripture tells us that Satan's ministers uh, appear that way because even he appears as an angel of light. Cunning and craftiness and, and people fall prey to it because they're not involved in doing the work of the ministry and growing into the fullness of Christ. With you. you know who gets the most out of every class? The teacher. The person who's put in the most, you know who does the most homework to get ready for a class? The teacher. The, the person who has done the work to get ready for it. Well, I was going to do that. I was going to go there and spend some time there. I was going to put a bow on it. I thought, you know, this is great. We'll start with that and then we'll end with that. And, as we, and then I realized I'm not supposed to put a bow on it. Oh, you put a bow on something when it's done. I mean, I, I have no idea who they're going to get to teach once I'm gone. But, you know, we've... <laughs> I got, I got a pretty good idea that it's, that it's covered pretty well. And I'm not gone. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, you, you can put your request for speakers in to Kevin and he. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not supposed to put a bow on it because it's absolutely ongoing. And, and, and it really hit me. That's not, that's not really that's not the most important thing. And the most important thing is the most important thing. And that really ought to be what I talk about after 32 years and seven months, or shall we just say 33 years? The aged St. John, the apostle, the beloved disciple was said that in his elderly years, would stand before the church And he would just simply say, little children, love each other. Love each other. The older I get, 
the more clearly I see that nothing comes close to the command to love each other. Nothing is remotely close to that. There have been times in my journey when I thought that doctrine was the most important thing. I was wrong. It's not the most important thing. There are people who can claim all of the right doctrines, you know, who got their, got their doctrine line up, but, but whose lives don't show any evidence of love. You know, and then there's some people whose doctrine may be a little, eh, there might be a screw missing here and there. And, you know, there's only like 48 cards in that deck or something there, you know, 59, but, but the love pours out of them. I go, what's up with that? I have a uh, pastor friend who used to pastor a church in Hendersonville, and uh, it was an independent church, and he left for a while, uh, moved out of the area, and he moved back, and he, and he started uh, pastoring a church in Goodlettsville, uh, a Calvary Chapel church. And it was, uh, and there, I, I don't know exactly what their structure is, but it's, it's not really a denomination, but anyway, uh, I found out that he had his ministerial credentials with the denomination that I was involved with. I said, hey, man, you know, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to, have, love to have an ally. Why don't, you, why don't you come to some of the meetings that we have and everything? I've never seen you at any of them. And I, I'll never forget him saying, oh, no, uh-uh, I, I'm keeping a low profile, brother. If I, if I show up and they realize, I, you know, here I'm pastoring this church, they'll pull my credentials. There, there's some mean people. And I realized he's right. There's some really good people. But there's some mean people. They will pull his credentials. The gifts of the Spirit, baptismal formulas, worship formulas, the Trinity, creationism, all all of those things. I'm not saying that they're not important, but where's the love? That's the most important thing. There have been times in my journey when I thought issues were of paramount importance. I was wrong. You know, we live in an issue-oriented culture. And I'm not just talking about the secular culture. The church culture is also very issues-oriented. From abortion to sexuality to immigration to income inequality to, to anything If you think any of those are are other issues are more important than the command to show love to each other, show me in Scripture. Chapter and verse set for me. And for every chapter and verse that you pulled out and kind of, you know, make it fit in that cubbyhole, I'll show you 10. It says, love each other. This is the most important thing. Love each other. Here's a verse that used to mess with my theology all the time. I, I, you know, I love this verse. I hated it. Had a, had a love-hate relationship with it. It's actually two verses. Uh, so I, maybe, no, I had a love-hate relationship with both of them. But, but it's, it's in 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another. Ooh, yeah, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Ooh, I don't know about that. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 
Now, first of all, you've heard me say this before, but if you try to put a qualifier on that about, and this is, this is kind of how I used to treat this about uh, who is that one another? Well, it's, you know, it's people who have the same doctrine I got, uh, you know, people who vote for the same people I vote for and have the same issues, stand on the same side of the issues that I stand on. Yeah. You know, if you, if you try to put qualifiers on that, you've already totally missed the boat. Total, one another is human beings. That's what it is. It's, it's other people on this planet. That's who one another is. If I do not love someone, it says more about me than it says about them. In fact, it doesn't say anything about them. It's, it, it says something about me. That's what it says. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Man, I've skimmed that verse so many times. And, but there it is. What are you going to do with it? Uh, yeah, but God, I, I, I don't know if they've walked down the aisle and, and shook the pastor's hand yet or not. Yeah. Everyone who loves has been born of God, knows God. Heck, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know if they got dunked yet or not. Well, that's an act of obedience, and I think that's really important. But everyone who loves has been born of God, knows God. And if you don't love, you don't know God. What? Because God is love. That's, that's what he is. I'm not saying that theology isn't important. I'm not saying that issues don't matter. But I'm saying that if placing any of them uh, um, above the command to love is wrong. None of them give us an out to not love somebody. None of them are a qualifier for whether or not we're supposed to love somebody. Love matters. you You know this passage. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, take your pet issue, take your most favorite issue, take your most favorite uh, uh, doctrine, take who you voted for or or whatever's important to you and put it in place of love in that, in the reading of that scripture and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't believe in the Trinity. I am nothing. What? Well, how do I know if I'm showing love? Well, uh, it's, 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 it's pretty, pretty simple. I had a friend named Steve Dees back before I got saved. And uh, Steve wouldn't let go after I did get saved. But, uh, but we, we spent some time together. And I remember him asking me one day. I know exactly where I was. I remember him asking me, oh, what is love? And I went, boy, that's a good question. Oh, I know what it is. Yeah, I've been reading the Bible lately. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> And you know what it is too. It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Living in a world where there is no love is absolutely not worth living. It's a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and is heard no more. It is a tale told by idiots full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. But living in a world where there is love and where people love, and, and, and I just have to say this because of the culture we're in, I'm not talking about sexuality. I'm talking about the free will choice. I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to be kind with you. I'm not going to keep a record of all of the wrongs that I feel like have been done to me. I'm going to persevere with you. Oh, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And love is a command. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. Is I have loved you. Don't love one another the way that you kind of love yourself because you might not think too much of yourself. You know, love People, the way I love you. How does Jesus love you? That's what the command is. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you, if you love one another. It is, the, it is the mandate that we receive. You know, we just had a, a, an election, and after most elections, the question is, well, did, did the person that got elected receive a mandate? Well, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. You know, it, uh, uh, when God says something to you directly, to me directly, that's a mandate. Do this. This is what we want done. This is what I want done. And discipleship, it's a team sport. People aren't going to know that you're a Christian because you got a degree in theology. People aren't going to know that you're a Christian because you can say, Shondelii, Shondelii. People will know you're a Christian because you love them and you love others. People people aren't even going to know you're a Christian because you can jump up and down in worship time. They know you're a Christian because you show love. That's what they know. And as I say, it's a team sport. Uh, I'm going to jump back to Ephesians for just a second. I'm almost done here, but I'm almost done here. but it, that, that passage in Ephesians about what the work of the ministry is and everything, go, the next verse says, speaking the truth in love, we will become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Who wants to do that? Who wants to become the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ? How you do it is you speak the truth in love. There are two, two things that are required. And I would suggest that you cannot have one without the other. I would suggest that you can't really speak truth to someone unless you love them. And if you do love them, you'll be able to see truth much more clearly than if you're operating from any other, any other metric. Say, so, well, Pastor, this is kind of hard. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's some people that have been pretty nasty to me. It doesn't say you have to like them. It doesn't say you have to approve of them. You can despise what they do, but you got to love them. 
That's what it's, and you can do it. And you know why you can do it? You can do it because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We usually take that verse and we apply it to, you know, some thing that we're going through. Well, how about every day I need to love people? And the only way I can do that is through Christ who gives me strength because I can't do it on my own. Love never fails. I started out with talking about my parents. I want to go back just a little bit further. As I'm, uh, the worship team can come on out. Yeah, you guys can come on out. Uh, I, I, most of you are aware that there was a period in my life where I was running from the Lord. I grew up in a, in a, in a church culture that was uh, uh, Pentecostal holiness. And we were... You know, we were, we were all that. And, uh, and when I started running away from God, not only did I stop going to church, you know, and, and getting into all these things that I shouldn't have been getting into, but I started doing theater for crying out loud. I mean, we believed that if you were in a movie when Christ came, you were going to burn. So you just didn't go to them. You could watch them on television. Christ didn't care about what you saw on television. But you you better not be in that movie house when he comes. And I started doing plays, live theater. And that that was, you know, that was was another step below the rung of, yeah. They came to every play I did. They traveled out of state to go see me do stuff. And while I know that what I was doing and the way that I was living and what was going on in my life was just breaking their hearts. You know, I didn't, I didn't much care at the time, very honestly, because that's how you are when you're in that place. They never... I want to be careful how I say this. They never confronted me because they knew that wasn't going to work, not with this guy. You know, they never said, well, now you got to, you better straighten up and fly right or you can't, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying, because maybe sometimes that is the path of love, but it, it wouldn't have been for me. And I look back at it and I realize, you know, they just supported me. They just loved me. And when I finally did come back to the Lord, there was a song that we used to sing that, boy, began to just mean so much to me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. When nothing else can help, love never fails. Never fails. So, little children, love each other. Love each other.